It's always a blessing when Andy sings. He's uh, got, a, got a gift. Andy, I have to tell a story on you. Recently, some of you had the uh, opportunity to attend one Bethlehem night, and Andy was Joseph, and he does such a superb job, and he was sitting here on the stage, and <clears throat> he was crying. And I was told by a grandparent, they had their grandchild with them, and the grandchild was paying special attention to that scene and said, boy, he's a good faker. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're about to open your word. And we are longing for you to pour your Holy Spirit upon us, to guide our thoughts and our hearts where you want them to be. We believe in you, Lord, and we believe your word. We're asking for a correct understanding of it. And we pray that you will be the one who teaches us, instructs us, and leads us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, my, one of my granddaughters, she, she will be 11 in a couple of weeks, asked me what I was going to preach about today. And I told her I was going to tell a story about deer hunting. And she was troubled by that. You would hunt deer? And uh, yeah, I did. So before I tell the story, I want everybody here to relax. I'm a lousy hunter. And all the years I hunted, never shot a deer. Never even shot at a deer. So just relax. Don't have to consider me something I'm not. I am a vegetarian. But the story happened in 1971. It was November, it was deer season, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Lake Melicoca, about 25 miles east of Manistique, where my family lived. My uh, <clears throat> dad had become good friends with Mr. Harrison, and Mr. Harrison had a son named Rob, who was my age. We played basketball together. And they had another son named Scott, who was my brother's age, and they played basketball together. So we were all friends. And the Harrisons had a deer camp on Lake Millicoca. It was a nice place. It was a rugged place, heated by the fire. And um, not a lot of amenities, so to speak, just the type of place you want for a deer camp. And if you grew up, in Michigan or a place like that where you had access to a deer camp, you know it's a magical place. You go to it and stories of yesteryear are told and retold and sometimes a little different, usually more exaggerated, but always in a fun, interesting way. It's a great way to build camaraderie 
for a father and his sons. So we were there hunting, and it was cold, and the lake had frozen over, at least uh, near shore it had frozen, and we were given our assignments early in the morning. We, were all, we all had a place we're supposed to go, we're supposed to be, and my father was assigned to walk that day. He would go beyond us, and he would start walking towards us, and if there were any deer there, they would come walking our way. Well, being a teenager and looking for shortcuts, where I was going to go, I had to walk around a portion of the lake. And I said to my dad, Dad, can I just walk across over to the other side? And he said, well, yeah, be careful. If you hear it cracking, head for shore real quick. So I started walking across this section of the lake. And as I was walking, I was having no problems at all until I started hearing some cracking. And I turned and looked, and Scotty was behind me. The ice would hold me by myself, but not two of us. And I talked to my brother about this yesterday, and he remembers the story. He remembers what I was saying. Get back! Get back! And so I even changed my course, and it started cracking again. And there's Scotty. And I'm hollering him, get back, you idiot, get back. I don't know what Scotty was thinking that day, <clears throat> but no matter what I said, I couldn't shake that kid. And eventually, it cracked, and I fell in about up to my chest. It wasn't that deep, but oh, it was cold. And when my brother and I talked about it, he remembered what I said after that, too, but you have no idea. <laughs> but I was upset. I was trying to get that kid to get away from me. We both could have crossed if he would have just been 25 feet behind me. And you know, it's kind of interesting that Life is like that sometimes. I didn't ask for him to go with me. I didn't want him to go with me. I told him to get away from me, and he wouldn't. And he was the cause of me falling through the ice. Life comes at us in the multiple ways. We don't ask for these problems. We don't want these problems. We try to shake these problems, but they come. And the question is, are we able to stand when they come? Let's study Matthew chapter 7. We're ending Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He concludes his sermon with a parable, a parable sometimes called the parable of the two builders. It's about a wise man and a foolish man. We find it, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock.
Now, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount with a parable. He begins by talking about the wise man in verse 24. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So a wise man is a person who hears the teachings of Jesus, but not only hears, but does what the teachings of Jesus instructs. And he will be like a wise man. His, the foundation that he builds on will be the rock. If you will turn to your Bibles to the right, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this in verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation that the wise man builds on. There is none other. Jesus says in verse 25, and the rain descended, the floods came, back in Matthew 7, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So you have rain, flood, winds. They blew and beat on that house, but it was able to stand because it was founded on the rock. Jesus transitions to the foolish man, verse 26. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now the identical words and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. Here it changes. And it fell, and great was its fall. So you have the picture of the foolish man. The foolish man hears the teachings of Jesus, but does not do what the teachings instruct. He is a foolish man. His foundation is sand. When the rent, when when the rain, flood, and winds blow and beat on the house, it falls with a great fall. Now let's go back to Corinthians for a minute, and this will help explain what Jesus is saying. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5, it says, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What you have here in this parable of Matthew chapter 7, please go back there, is you have the wisdom of God portrayed in the words of Jesus, and he says the person who hears that and follows those teachings is the wise man. The person who hears the words of Jesus but does not do what is instructed is a foolish man Essentially, he is choosing the wisdom of men rather than the wisdom of God. It's an unfortunate experience all of us struggle with. We hear what God says, 
It's not always convenient when we hear what God says. We're instructed what God says to do. It's not always easy to do what God says to do. Often it will cut against our pleasures. It will cut against our pride. And so we look for another set of values or beliefs, and that is called the wisdom of men. We can find it. It's out there. You don't even have to Google it. It's naturally within your heart to rationalize sin. And the person who does that will have a fall, a great fall. Now, in Matthew 7, verse 24, the word, whoever hears these sayings of mine. In verse 26, everyone who hears these sayings of mine. So this is a, an inclusive, every one of us involved type of parable. Now it's important to note that it's a parable and there's meaning behind what Jesus is saying. The building of a house is not a literal house. It is referring to the character of the person. It is referring to the faithfulness to God of the person. We see that reflected in the Psalms. The very first Psalm, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, Psalm 1, we'll read the Psalm. There's only six verses. Won't take long. Psalm 1 begins in verse 1 saying, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's talking about a man who goes to the wisdom of man. Blessed is the man who does not do that, the Bible says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So the man who's going to be blessed in life is not the man who seeks wisdom from men, but who seeks wisdom from God and embraces the wisdom from God, even meditates on it to seek to understand it better. Here's a blessing pronounced, verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This tree has deep roots. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so. See, that tree is not going anywhere. When it rains, when it floods, when the winds blow and beat upon that tree, it stands. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The person getting their cue from man will find that at a particular time something may be considered right. Ten years later, that's considered wrong, and they're back and forth and back and forth. God is the same today, tomorrow, and always blowing in the wind. Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, 
nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So one application of this parable certainly is toward the judgment. But I have found in 41 years of ministry, the judgment really doesn't change too many people's lives. We have a way of dismissing it. Well, that's tomorrow. That's not something I'm going to worry about today. And so I think, yeah, I, I get that. But there's a tremendous question asked in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, when it describes the coming of Jesus and the mountains falling into the sea and the wicked asking to hide from the face of the Lamb. The chapter ends with a question, who is able to stand? That's a good question. Who is able to stand? Well, I'm not going to talk about the judgment today, but I am going to talk to you about that question, who is able to stand? Because the parable is not just about the judgment. It's about walking with God in a faithful manner. It's about not failing God when the rain, the flood, and the wind of life come upon us. What happens <clears throat> when the rain, the flood, and the wind beat against us? Well, our character is demonstrated, and our faithfulness to God is challenged. You know it. It can be an illness we're struggling with. It can be a loss we're experiencing. It can be finances. It can be your reputation. It can be relationships. It's just like Scotty, you know. I didn't want him in my life that day. Everywhere I went, there he was causing a problem for me, and he would not go away. And things come to us. We can pray about them. They don't go away. We can try to change course, they don't go away. They are there. It is part of life, of living on this planet. And I guarantee you, every one of us seated here today or listening online has had an experience where we did not do well. Our character was not what it should have been. Our faithfulness to God was not what it could have been. And there was a fall of some sort where our life was not reflecting at that time what God wanted it to be. Now, the reason I know you're all in that boat is because none of us come to Christ and then have a perfect record after that. It is a series of growth experiences, some victories, some failures, all teaching us and instructing us toward Jesus and becoming faithful to Him. So I want to ask you a question today, and then we'll seek to answer it by a, a story. What happens to us if we crumble? What happens to us if we cave, we lose our courage, and maybe even quit? 
what happens to us? Well, there's a story. Some of you will know parts of this story. Maybe you know all of this story. But you have to dig around in the scriptures a little bit and tie a few things together. And we have the story of a man called John Mark, sometimes simply just called Mark. I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and verse 25. In Acts 12 verse 25 it says, And Barnabas and Saul, that is before Saul changed his name to Paul, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose name was Mark. John Mark. This is the man that's known sometimes as John, sometimes as John Mark, and sometimes simply as Mark. We continue. We go to chapter 13, verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So Saul and Barnabas, on their missionary tour, have this man named John Mark with them. He is there as an assistant. Now that word implies a number of meanings. It means to assist them, attend to them, minister to them, serve them, and help them. So he was not asked to be a preacher. He was not asked to be a teacher. He was asked to be a support staff, if you will, a servant to Saul and Barnabas. We read in chapter 13, verse 13, it says, now when Paul, now his name is changed, now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. The word departed is translated deserted them in the living New Testament. It is translated quit and deserted them in the Amplified Version. We will see that John crumbled. He caved. He lost courage. And he quit. Well, let's continue reading. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, it's time to go on another journey. Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul will choose Silas, and they head out in different directions. 
Paul was so upset with the failure of John Mark, he wanted nothing to do with him. He is not going with us. We are not going to take one who cannot stand. We have no idea what was going on in John Mark's life or in that particular experience. What was it that put him over the top where he could not take it anymore? We'll find out someday when we get to heaven and we can talk to him. But it was bad enough, and his failure was enough that Paul refused to associate with him. That's hard. But for Paul, what he was doing was so serious, he could not be associated with a coward or one who would quit or one who would not be able to stand against the pressures they were under. Over time, things changed. When Paul is writing one of his later letters in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he mentions Mark by name. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes this, Only Luke is with me, and Paul's writing this while he's in prison. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Something had changed. Something had changed so dramatically that Paul is asking for that man to come to him. He is useful for me in ministry. I need him. Please send him to me. What happened? There was a fall. He was unable to stand, but what happened? We get a clue when we go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter writes these words in verse 13. He's, this is his benediction. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. Now, Peter was not the biological father of Mark. But he calls him his son. And that phrase is a phrase used in Scripture to define someone who is a spiritual father or a mentor to another. Paul called Timothy his son. They were not related. Paul called Titus his son. They were not related. They, Paul is referring to them as spiritual sons. He has raised them in their faith and understanding of God. Peter was Mark's father in the faith. Peter is the one who mentored Mark and taught him of the Lord. And who better than Peter? Think about it. John Mark was a branded man. He had crumbled. He had caved. He had lost courage. He had quit. What better man than Peter to help a person who had done that.
Peter had crumbled. He had caved. He had lost courage. He quit. He even denied he knew Jesus with cursing. But Peter had been forgiven. Peter had been restored to ministry. Peter had been told to feed the sheep. You see, what gives people credibility is rising above their failures. Peter, a bruised failure, forgiven by the grace of God, became a great minister to others. Prior to this, he just thought he was a great minister. He was all about himself. But through his failure and through the forgiveness of the Lord, he developed a heart to minister and to encourage and to help others. Do you realize, folks, we are all Peter. We've all failed the Lord at some point, some way. Maybe you are right now. I don't know. But when you embrace that forgiveness and you get right with the Lord and your determination is stronger to stand with him, then turn around and help the person behind you get to that point. That's what happened to Mark. But the story doesn't end there. Mark would become a traveling companion of Peter. Mark would write the very first gospel, the gospel of Mark. The information he received, he got from Peter, the firsthand experiences of Peter. You will find in the gospel of Mark there is no genealogy, there is no fulfilled prophecy, there are no references to the law, there is no record of Jewish customs found in the other Gospels. There is a picture of Jesus as a servant and as the Redeemer of men. Mark's point of failure becomes his point of focus when he writes about Jesus. Jesus did not fail. And Mark portrays Jesus as the great servant. Mark and Peter traveled to Rome together. Mark went to North Africa and was killed in Alexandria as a martyr for the Lord. You can read about his death, but the manner in which he was killed is so utterly repulsive, I'm not going to share it from the pulpit. Just a short time later, Peter would be killed in Rome. He would consider it uh, he considered it wrong to be crucified with his head up because that's the way Jesus was crucified and he felt too unworthy. So he asked and they granted his request. He was crucified hanging upside down. You see, these two men that didn't stand 
these two men who crumbled, caved, lost courage, quit, even Peter who denied Jesus with cursing. These two men became great men. We're reading about them and talking about them 2,000 years later. Mark and Peter were able to stand. You see, the, the wise man heard and did what Jesus taught. The foolish man heard and did not do what Jesus taught. Let's look at Matthew 7, verse 24. Please read this out loud with me. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Next verse. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. obvious question. What are you founded on? Are you standing on the wisdom of men? Or are you standing on the only foundation that will hold? And that is Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at in your journey. You may be in a good spot. You might be in an awful spot. But I do know this. Jesus came to redeem us. He came to save us. And he came to serve. And that means drying tears, holding hands, and picking people up who didn't stand. And I'm wondering if there's anyone here who would like to say to the Lord, I want to stand. I want to be built on your words, trusting you and being faithful to you. If you'd like to say that to the Lord, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for yet another chance. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us by your grace to be a believer and a faithful follower of Jesus. We thank you in his name.